0: Good morning. morning. I want to start out today making a clarification of something I had said last week. We had looked at James 3, the first 12 verses, and two of those, 9 and 10, read this way, talking about our speech or our tongue. He says, with it, our mouth, our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. The more I thought about this, I want to help us understand. James is talking about people who are on the same level. Uh, He's not talking about those who are in a position of authority. You parents, yes, you can say something negative to your kids if they act up. Teachers can, again, say something uh, not complimentary to a child if he... Needs to study more or stop picking on other people, whatever. So, not saying that you can never, say, criticize a person whatsoever. It, I think, though, the again, with the boss and employees, same idea. But I think the idea is once you've dealt with it, then stop. It Most likely, the news doesn't need to go anywhere else besides you and the person you've dealt with. So... <clears throat> For example, like our review team, as we're looking at, as they are looking at new pastor candidates, they're making phone calls, they're checking references, well, they come back and sometimes they have to say something negative about someone because we're all going to need to know why that they don't think that candidate is qualified. So like if a guy has, I don't know, three DUIs, um, they don't have to come back and say, Well, he's skilled in driving in a variety of circumstances. (laughs) No, they can say what it is. So anyway, I think that's, you know, I just want to make that clarification to people. And we do that as elders, by the way. We deal with issues that need to be dealt with, but then we leave them alone. Uh, You know, we discuss them at meetings. If need be, we take care of it. We don't tell our wives. We don't tell... Everybody, I don't jump on Facebook and tell you everything that we just discussed in an in a elders meeting. So we try to implement the, what James is getting at here, and I want to encourage us all to try to do that as well. Okay, we're going to pick up with James chapter 3, beginning with verse 13. And really the, the idea is continuing of what James had said in the first 12 verses. And basically is, if you want good relationships... Guard your tongue. That's the first 12 verses. The next six are going to be a little different, but still the main idea is the same. Let me read those with you or for you. James chapter 3, beginning with verse 13. "'Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct let him show his works in the meekness or humility of wisdom.'" But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So what the big idea we're going to see today is genuine faith produces a wisdom and an understanding and peace within us and in how we deal with, With other people. If we are wise, we will deal with others gently and try to maintain peace as much as possible. Today, we're also going to look at two kinds of wisdom one is biblical and genuine, the other is false and destructive. Quick definition wisdom, what James is going to call wisdom from above is simply godly wisdom, the kind of wisdom God gives. It's based on knowledge of God, but even more than that, it's based on understanding more and more about Him as you go on in your Christian walk. And wisdom is also the ability for us to deal with circumstances the way God would want us to. Knowledge, knowledge of the Bible is important, but then we have to take that knowledge and live it out, utilize it in our day-to-day lives. Understanding, similar word. It, knowledge, understanding, wisdom, they, those concepts are very, very close to one another. We're also going to see a second kind of wisdom, called wisdom from below. It's going to be described in verses 14 through 16. And it's the very opposite of God's kind of Wisdom. Also, going to ask you two questions. So let's get started. Flowing out of verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? There's the first question. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. You say that's still only one question. Right. I'll mention that and clarify that in a moment. First question from God's perspective, though, are you wise? And understanding? Yeah, we all would want to say yes rather easily, but the second question then comes into play that's implied by this first question. Second question is if you consider yourself wise and understanding, what's your proof? How do you know you are? What should we look at in your life that would demonstrate that indeed? You are a person with godly wisdom. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know by itself is not to be wise, but to know how to use knowledge, that is wisdom. First question, our second question. So, are you wise? Do you think, are you an understanding person and how are you going to know? There are two answers, two things that James brings up. First one is your behavior, because he says, your, talks about your behavior right there in verse 13. I have too many pieces of paper here. So in verse 13, James asks the first question and he answers the second one. Again, the answer to the second one is that a person would operate in gentleness, that they would do good works in the actions and attitudes of humility and gentleness. Here again, humility and gentleness are basically synonyms of each other. Do you operate in an attitude of humility, gentleness that's motivated by God's kind of wisdom. The, by the way, the King James uses the word conversation instead of the word behavior. 400 years ago, conversation meant your conduct, but today that might put across a, a wrong impression. So, again, in your actions and how you deal with people, especially with people maybe not at your level as far as maybe children or people who are in a needy situation, do you relate to them in humility, kindness, gentleness that comes from a godly wisdom? If so, then you are wise and understanding. 400 years ago, an English bishop said to those who were aspiring to be ministers, He said, speak kindly to everyone you meet because everyone has a problem. Think about that. That's good advice, isn't it? Don't think that people are ready to hear your harsh attacks on them. They may be really beaten down on the inside. So why not speak kindly to everyone? Think of this in Titus 3. First, beginning with verse 1, Titus, Paul was telling Titus what to do with the believers there. And he says, remind them, remind those Christians to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient to God, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling To be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. That sounds just like what James is saying here. And in fact, a lot of times the Bible basically says the same thing in different places. It just uses different phraseology for it. Okay, we're going to start by looking at the wisdom from below. Wisdom from below has two main characteristics. First of all, jealousy or envy. The second one, I've, I've um, paraphrased it as self-centeredness. James uses the term selfish ambition. But we're going to look at these two together because James really puts them together tightly. Beginning with verse 14, he says, "...but if you have bitter jealousy or envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above from God." But this wisdom is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. James talks about bitter jealousy, and he puts the word bitter in front of jealousy because in Greek the word jealousy can also mean zealous or zealousy. In other words, it can have a positive spin or a negative But by putting the word bitter in front, James leaves no doubt as to what he's talking about. The the negative kind of envy or jealousy that that just makes us bitter because somebody has something we don't have. Somebody has a position that we want. And the bosses were just too dumb to see that we were the best candidate for it. Self-ambition, let me explain that Briefly, Because that's not the kind of ambition, say, uh, an Olympic athlete would show. It's not the kind of ambition to make better grades that a serious student would display. It has nothing to do with what we normally think of as ambition. It has to do with, as I defined it up here, self-centeredness. The ambition to promote yourself in spite of and even over everyone else. That's what James is getting at. So he said this attitude of envy, jealousy and self-centeredness, just those two would be enough to show people that you are not operating with God's kind of wisdom, <clears throat> excuse me, but with man's kind. And you know if you look at the the Hollywood reports or whatever the news may carry, lots of times you read comments and that's you can see these Traits coming out of their words. People are jealous someone else got a part in a movie. Someone else uh, was asked to do something that someone else thought they would be better at. And by the way, don't make the mistake of thinking that James is now talking to unbelievers. No. He wrote to Christians so we Christians can operate with the philosophy, the mindset, the wisdom of down below. Not godly kind of wisdom. Yes, we Christians who are trying to do the right thing, if we're not diligent, if we're not looking at our motives and questioning ourselves in a healthy kind of way, we can wind up operating from the same vantage point that people in the world operate from. They, in a large sense, can't help it. We can. And James says, if you harbor such bitter envy and selfishness, then you are, in in effect, living a lie because you think you are obeying God. You think you are operating according to his wisdom. but Instead, we're not. Humility once again, marks the person who has godly wisdom. Jealousy and self-centeredness prove you're operating in a most ungodly kind of way. So James says, true wisdom, looking at life from God's perspective, trying to be obedient to him, reading his word and trying to implement it, that's basically the definition of wisdom. And that kind of wisdom Wisdom, that kind of spiritual maturity should produce within us humility in our relationships. I was surprised how many times that in the New Testament you find the word humble or humility or gentle. Again, they're very tightly related to one another. And um, in fact, I kind of did myself an experiment and I once I already knew the answer, though I asked myself, if someone were to catch me and they were to ask me, is gentleness a trait that is required of leaders in a church? I probably would have said, if I had to answer immediately, I probably would have said, you know what, it's a good thing to have, but no, I don't think it's required. Yes, it is. In 1 Timothy 3, in verse 3, that, it shows up. And what makes me feel worse is I would memorized those verses before. I've studied those verses in English. I've studied those verses in Greek. But I was amazed at the number of times, again, that the word gentleness or humility comes up in the New Testament. And I encourage you to just do a little concordance studying. Of course, we all know the internet can do the work for us. But go ahead and put the Search parameters in and find and read and take to heart those verses that call us to humility and to gentleness in dealing with others. Looking at this wisdom from below, there are two main characteristics of jealousy and self-centeredness. Now, where does that wisdom come from? We're going to look at the sources of the wisdom from below. James gives us three. First, when he says, "I've defined as the world," he says, "This is not wisdom." In verse fifteen, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly. Again, the idea we could put in the word "world," worldly. You know, when I first became a Christian, i I would hear people, uh, I would hear Christians talking about. Sharing, 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 sharing prayer requests, sharing praises, different things. They used the word share more in probably one conversation than I used it in my whole life before. I had three brothers. I didn't like to share. Another word that was often used was world or the world. And I thought, wait, these Christians don't care about the planet? They want to... They're all in favor of polluting, that they're not even going to consider recycling. And it wasn't until, you know, they looked at me with some a lot of compassion and said, no, the Bible uses that word differently. In the Bible, the world is talking about a set of priorities, a set of thoughts, motivations, uh, attitudes and all that really are just humanly way of thinking and acting, It does not factor in God at all. It's just the best that people can tend to do. And unfortunately, that is not, we don't naturally please God. We have to have God's kind of wisdom to be able to do that. So James calls that earthly or the world because it's the opposite of heavenly wisdom. Second source of this ungodly manner of living and thinking is the flesh. There again, when I was a new Christian, they would talk about the flesh. I'd look at my skin, think, I don't, what's the big deal about flesh? Here again, they said, no, the Bible uses that in a different way, talking about the natural desires that most people are not only have, but are controlled by, driven by, where while Again, totally factoring out any concept of God. The attitude where people might say something like, you know, if God leaves me alone, I'll leave him alone. Or even, if it feels good, do it. That's a couple of examples of this fleshly kind of motivation. Finally, a third source, and that is demonic, he says. I've put the devil, demonic, uh, here doesn't really mean that anybody you know, worships Satan it has has the idea once again of the fact that those ideas some of the times the ideas we have the ideas that people have in general are not ultimately simply human ideas but they are in line with the kind of ideas the devil would promote and in fact sometimes I believe even with Christians he kind of whispers in our ears or our mind a thought, and we may think that is a good, righteous thing to do, and we have to really catch ourselves and say, wait, no, that doesn't agree with what the Bible says. Same thing happened with Eve. You probably recall. The devil said, you certainly won't die if you eat this fruit. She thought about it, and she thought, well... Yeah, maybe that's an okay thought to have. She ignored God's revelation on that point and went and ate the fruit instead. What now will be the outcome? What's the ultimate result of living according to this worldly, unspiritual, and demonic set of priorities? Once again, there are two. Disorder and every evil practice. I'll look at those two together because they come together in verse 16. He says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. How can we tell if a person's operating with worldly kind of wisdom? We just need to look at the results of their life and of their relationships. Is there disorder Is there, are they causing tumultuous situations just by how they use their mouth or how they prioritize themselves above everyone else? Second one is every evil practice. And I kind of smile at that because, and I looked it up, it seems like James is basically could have said, you know what, guys, there's 15 or 20 things I could list, but let me just say, every bad thing you can think of. This kind of wisdom that at times we all buy into does not promote good, does not lead to good godly results, righteous results. It leads only to problems, especially problems in our relationships with others. Okay, but James says there is a wisdom from above in verse 17. And let's look at it. It says, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. The very first characteristic James mentions is pure. And if you look at that verse, when in Greek, at least, it says first pure or first this, then that. That's a Greek way of saying this first one is the main idea. And the others are really kind of subsets of it. So James said, if we are operating with God's kind of wisdom, we'll know it. Because we will be operating from pure thoughts, pure motives, pure actions. And pure here just means morally upright. Morally blameless. Above reproach, we might say. And so the other seven, as I mentioned, are just outworkings of that. They're pretty um, self-explanatory, so I won't go into them a whole lot. But the main characteristics is purity. There are a few other characteristics. The first one divided them into three groups, called it the wise person's disposition. And that is that he's peaceable, gentle, and considerate. I did not punctuate the slide correctly. Should put a period after consider it, because the others are just ways we can live those out. Are you open to reason? Or do you have to always get your way? Now, don't elbow your spouse when I ask that. But are you willing to change? Willing to let others win? Even if you are still convinced your idea might be better, are you willing to let others shine sometimes? Number two, the wise person's actions. It doesn't look like actions, but what he means here is that you do good deeds. That's what he means by good fruits. You do good deeds, you help others, and you do it with a motivation of mercy. That is, you're willing to go out of your way, willing to inconvenience yourself because someone has, at that point in time, a greater need than you have. Thirdly, wise person's attitudes, he gives us two, that they are impartial, that is, that they have an undivided loyalty to God and to his ways. And secondly, sincere, genuinely showing love and compassion, not putting on an act when it might make us look good. In fact, that word could be, is the word from which we get the word unhypocritical. Just doing something, kind of, you know, holding your nose as you go through it, but you really don't want to do it at all. No, it's so much better to be motivated by a genuine mercy, a genuine love and care for others. I want to close with this verse. Romans fourteen nineteen says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. I like that. Make every effort to do what what promotes peace, and helps build up everyone else. uh, Just before we pray, I want to invite the elders, the new members, the prayer team all to come forward, and I invite you to bow and pray with me. Our Father, we we find it so easy to be self-focused and so difficult to kind of get out of our own thoughts and consider the needs of others. But Lord, you tell us if we are wise, if we are godly, then we're going to be developing more and more the attitudes and the practices of humility and of gentleness. So God, wherever you find us today, help us, take us at least one step further toward godliness and righteousness and toward moral um, obedience to you, full obedience to you. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen.